The following is brought to you with no commercial interruptions. Listen up. How you been, man? Uh, I've been okay. Been yeah. Good, I guess. Good, yes. Okay, yeah. And you're still on a trip or? Yeah, oh, Jesus. You're in Alf or? That was last time. I am in a small town near Alf. Oh. Yeah. You're in Shumway? <laughs> I, yeah, I get your joke. Well done. Well done. Um, no, I'm in Outley, which is about a 20-minute drive from ALF because it was, I don't know, five euro cheaper or something, and that's how my company rolls. But do you, do you get paid for mileage? Uh, no. No? Oh, okay. Well, you, you know, they probably do that because you get paid better than what you would get paid in the United States doing your job, so... Well, that is absolutely true, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, this is one way or another the last week I'm here, whether it's because they accept the machine or they cancel the order or this is it. So you're on uh you're under the the spotlight? Yeah. Well, I'm not. <laughs> I mean, if the machine if they don't want to accept, I mean, the machine's doing what it's supposed to do. The question is whether or not they're happy with what they ordered. Oh, okay. Yeah. And I don't really care either way. I get paid the same whether they sign the paperwork or not. Welcome to Season 6, Episode 13 of the Better Band Podcast. An all-encompassing trip through every song in the Pearl Jam catalog. I'm your host, Brandon Palomo. Each episode, a different guest and I go track by track through every album, soundtrack, single, and b-side to discover why you simply can't find a better band. Welcome back to the Better Band Podcast. This is Brandon bringing... Okay, that was bad. (laughs) (laughs) And again. Okay, take two. Sound speeds. Welcome back to the Better Band Podcast. This is Brandon. Today we are covering the... Fuck. Third time's a charm. Welcome back to the Better Band Podcast. This is Brandon, and today we are talking about the binaural song Sleight of Hand, and my guest today is the inimitable Kevin Lassard. Is amenable, amenable, immense, whatever word I'm looking for, whatever word I said, is that a good word? Yeah. Or is it a bad word? I, I actually have no idea. I haven't taken an SAT in like... 25 years so my <laughs> sat vocabulary has gone right down but um if you address me by any big word i will assume that it's a compliment all right the impotent kevin lassard <laughs> oh wait a minute well i am married so <laughs> hey my wife <laughs> yeah uh, thanks for having me, Brandon. I'm excited to talk about my favorite song off of my favorite Pearl Jam album. This is your favorite Pearl Jam album, you say? Yeah, it has been since it first came out. This was, I mean, part of it is just demographics. It came out when I was 20, which is like the prime, hear the favorite music of your life age. Mm-hmm. And part of it was that it thematically spoke to me in a way at that time of my life that other albums hadn't up to that point and it has can my opinion of it has continued to evolve as i have matured it is an album with many layers 
You were living in Oklahoma at the time going to school, right? I was. Actually, I have a story about picking up binaural, if you don't mind a short digression that you can edit out later. Um, <laughs> Kevin, this is a podcast where I need content, so any stories that don't relate to the specific subject at hand will only add to the length of this, which is something that I need so that this isn't just a 20-minute episode. Okay. So here's the story of me getting this album. Uh, it came out in May of 2000. Mm-hmm. May 13th. May 16th, I believe. May 16th, yeah. I had just finished finals in Oklahoma. Oh, yes, yes. Yeah, and was driving back to Reno to work a night shift job at IGT at a gaming technology company that is based in Reno. You you drove all the way? I did. I drove all the way in oh, three. Oh, wow. In your van? Yeah, in the can of death, yeah. Oh, wow. It Yeah, and it didn't have a CD player, obviously, because it was made in the Reagan administration. <laughs> <laughs> but I had a a CD boombox that I kept between the driver and passenger seats with a plug-in cigarette lighter adapter. Mm-hmm. And so I was, I had driven basically like 18 hours from Oklahoma to Vegas and crashed on my brother's couch in Vegas. And I had timed the drive so that when I got up on the Tuesday morning in Vegas, I could go directly to a Sam Goody and buy, I bought two albums that day. I bought by Gnarl, Mm-hmm. And I bought, oops, I did it again. <laughs> they, they came out on the same day. And then for the entire drive from Vegas to Reno, about a seven-hour drive, I just swapped those discs back and forth in the CD player in my van. Mm-hmm. And actually, I had a flat tire on that trip. And so it ended up being even longer, more miserable trip. And I had the flat tire during the Britney, one of the times I was listening to the Britney Spears album. Mm-hmm. So that was... The beginning of the end of my fanship. <laughs> my loneliness is killing me. This flat tire is killing me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so this was the soundtrack to just like these beautiful sort of late spring desert scenery that, that you'd see if you drive from Vegas to Reno, as well as the soundtrack to me being 20 and depressed, which I was a lot of my 20s. And you know, that, that time in your life when you go from being legally an adult to being actually an adult. And so that's, I think, like I say, I think that, that this is my favorite album because it slotted into that time of my life sort of perfectly. Do you think it partly maybe has to do with the Stockholm Syndrome of uh, being trapped with it on your on the drive back? That That could be also, yeah. So then you didn't really get any of the binaural effects then while this was going on. Not until I got it back home and was able to listen to it with headphones, no. Did you know that that was something that was uh, happening on this album before you picked oh, it yeah. up or after you did? or I, I knew before. I had read it on some Usenet group or something. For those of you kids who don't know, a Usenet group was like a pre-Reddit, <laughs> I think is probably the best way to put it. They they had the real internet by this time. They had the um the Pearl Jam website with the uh, rumor pit and everything like that. I believe this. Uh, I believe nothing as it seems was uh, available for a download uh, for free on the website before the album came out. No, that's right because I read the original track listing for Binaural on the rumor pit and was surprised to see the actual track listing. Oh, 
Uh, so yeah, let's get into the song. This uh, has music written by Jeff Ament and Eddie wrote the words. There are a total of what five different time signatures in this song. I think, I think five is what we counted off the because you had sent me the tab from the official tab book. Mm-hmm. So and it starts off five eight. And then there's uh, some 3-4 in there. Yeah, there's one 3-4 measure that's a transition into the chorus. And then there's a 16-9 a that transitions back into the 5-8. 9-16. 9-16 back into the 5-8. Yeah, and I think the ending is uh, in 4-4. Four, four. Yeah. And, oh, wait, I don't know, maybe it's 6-8. It ends in 6-8, but there's a 4-4 four, four somewhere yeah. in there. Well, the chorus is 4-4. Four, four. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, but but Jeff wrote the music for it, which is this is, seems like something that that Matt would do. I wonder if if Jeff was like, oh yeah, he could handle this stuff, so I'll just uh, make it all crazy. I assume that it was a Jeff composition with Matt influence. Mm-hmm. I think that that's probably because drummers and bassists do tend to have sort of a special relationship. And so I think that there was probably a lot of them bouncing ideas off of each other, but that, but that Jeff ultimately got the writing credit probably because the melodic parts of it were Jeff Ament. Yeah, Jeff does have um, songs that have uh, odd time signatures and stuff like that, regardless of, uh, or independent of uh, of Matt. There's like Big Wave. Um, there's, oh shit, there's some off of uh, Yield. I think Low Light yeah. is, a, is an odd time signature. So... It's not it's not out of the norm for him, but I think that this is probably one of the more extreme right. ones of his songs that kind of goes all over the place and stuff like that, just because there's like pickup uh, measures and stuff like that throughout mm-hmm. it as well. And that probably is a contributing factor to the reason that it's only been played live 49 times. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I actually found the most recent one, Toronto, in May of 2016. Ed had a false start on it, I think, precisely mm-hmm. because of the odd time signatures. Yeah. Sometimes they skip. It's a Russian thing. clean the needle for a second. Yeah, the first time we played it was uh, June 14th of 2000 in Prague. Mm-hmm. I don't think there was anything else in that concert that was uh, remarkable. I know that there was a uh, Live on Four Legs episode about this, uh, that particular show. Uh, so, yeah, this song, they uh, performed it at um, the Storytellers recording. But uh, it was left off of the broadcast, so I don't know. I don't think that there's a version of the complete storytellers floating out there, unless there happens to be that I just haven't found, and somebody can, uh, you know, give that to a certain somebody who has a podcast so they can listen to it, hint, hint. This is, uh, this is another car song. Again, uh, behind the wheel. In transit, in traffic, uh, I think 
There are times when in traffic, that no matter how loud you turn up your stereo, the volume of your thoughts can uh, suddenly take over, uh, especially if you're by yourself. And, uh, maybe it's the waiting or the frustration or the idea that, that you know, there's got to be more than this. Um, you know, I'm talking about that it takes a half hour to go two miles, kind of, that kind of thing. Yeah. And suddenly you're not just questioning why you didn't take the last off-ramp, uh, but for some reason that brings up every critical decision you've made over the last five years. And uh, so I, I think this song's about the passage of time and, and not necessarily the, the hours in traffic, but the, uh, the preceding five or ten years that got you there. And it's called a sleight of hand. I would think that a storyteller is, I mean, it, it's always interesting to hear the stories behind these songs, but I think that it would be a little bit wasted on this song because I feel like it's a pretty, like there isn't a lot of secret about what it's about. It's a, it's a pretty straightforward song in that sense. Yeah, it is a very, uh, musically, tonally, it's sort of pretty dark. It's not experimental per se. Um, lyrically, it's kind of meandering, almost like spoken word, but he is singing in there. He's, uh, it's like not rhyming which is something that uh, is a kind of departure around this time as with uh you know a lot of most of 10 and a lot of uh verses he wasn't doing much rhyming but then he got into it more and this is just kind of all over the place and and especially considering the subject matter of the song and then the song that is following it soon forget do you think this is about the same protagonist possibly I don't know that it's about the same protagonist. I think that it is about the same type of person. I assume that, you know, when, when Ed's writing these character songs like Off He Goes and this and Sleight of Hand, that he, he doesn't necessarily have a character in mind mm -hmm. so much as a character type. And I think that there is definitely a lot of overlap between the character type in Sleight of Hand and the character type in Soon Forget. And I think that that is the reason that those songs went together on the album in both track listing versions. Yeah, this is a very sort of vignette of uh, sort of just a, a sad person who just uh, works their life away, pretty much, I guess. You just kind of read the lyrics and uh, listen to it, and that's what you get, right? Right, and and it was very much in the zeitgeist of the time, because you, you have to remember that this is around the same time that Fight Club, American Beauty, Office Space, all of these sort of existential questioning uh, movies and TV shows and, and music were coming out. So this this sort of went in line with a cultural idea that was floating around in the early 2000s and late 90s of, is this really all there is to life? Also possibly uh, The Matrix, mm -hmm. I guess, is uh, Keanu Reeves is just in a suit and everything like that. And mm -hmm. kind in of, a clip-on world? Yeah. And it's... Uh, hey. Hey, yeah, yeah. And, uh, the movie's got mini discs in it, so I, I know I sat up when that I saw that. It's like, oh, that's a mini disc. Hell yeah. <laughs> 90s for the win, man. Rock that 90s nostalgia. Yeah, sort of a post-millennium malaise, I guess, to get uh, alliterative with mm -hmm. it. And it was, you know, I, I already spoke about how timing-wise this was an album that landed right in my wheelhouse. And, and the reason that this is my favorite song off this album is that at the time, I was between my sophomore and junior year in college, and that's the time, and especially because I was, I was getting an engineering degree, which is a pretty kind of professional, 
you know, degree. That's mm-hmm. the point in college when professors and, you know, fellow students start talking about like what you're going to do for a career and what you're going, you know, like, oh, I can't wait till I can, you know, pay rent on my own apartment and, <laughs> you know, wear a clip on tie to work four days a week or, you know, have donuts on Friday. And, and so you're, <laughs> you know, there, there's all these ideas floating around and everyone seems to be real enthusiastic about this idea that you're going to join regular society soon. Mm -hmm. And I did not feel that enthusiasm. I suspect that most people actually don't, that they're just sort of faking it. Mm -hmm. But I, I definitely, to me, it looked like an oncoming freight train, all of these sort of, you know, get a, a desk job and a mortgage and kids and, just follow the same pattern that everyone else follows. I was terrified of that. And so this song and its sort of dark interpretation of a character archetype that followed that progression and then found themselves at some point in their lives just kind of wondering what the hell happened. That really spoke to me at that point. And as I have gotten older and I have I've found myself in points in my life where I reflect and like and, and ask myself, what the hell happened? How did I get here? Is it age or or consequence of my actions, or is it really just kind of some nefarious force working in the background that drives everybody to compliance? The invisible hand of the market. Yeah. Yeah, it is a sort of um, theme, I guess, in, in life of, you know, you have to prepare and you have to put stuff off in order for a reward later. You know, you got to save up your money so that you can go on vacation you gotta go to school so that you can get a job and then you get your job so that you can retire so that you can stop working at some point you know so that you can then have all this time to do the stuff that you weren't able to when you were younger and maybe you know more physically able to do some of the stuff <laughs> possibly yeah, when you you're breaking when, when your you body. would have enjoyed it yeah, yeah yeah when you were enjoying it and you had the energy to to appreciate it as opposed to the your twilight years where it's like oh i got this and then i'm gonna die pretty soon i won't have time to remember it and have it be something in my mind that i carry with me to I don't know, just to have this experience of, oh, yes, this happened in my life. And wow, that was pretty awesome. You know, it's like, oh, okay, you'll have kids and stuff like that. It's like, oh, okay, yeah, they're kids or babies and everything. That's, uh, oh, yeah, I remember that. That was cool. And yeah, but I'm old now and I can't really play with them or anything. But I just kind of, uh, yeah, sat with them and wiped their butts and, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There is a certain value to formative experiences, but there's also a certain window when once you're outside of that, there aren't any more formative experiences. Mm-hmm. And even things, you know, like, like I didn't really travel internationally until I could for work until I was in my mid-20s. And so I never got the opportunity to have that formative sort of out-of-culture experience when I was a teen or in my early 20s when it really would have had an impact. And, you know, I could have saved up the money and, and done those things. And it was just never... You know, oh, I'll do it later. I'll do it later. I'll do it later. And I did do it later, but I missed the chance for that to really have an impact on my life the way it could have. Along that kind of line, too, it's kind of, do you think that it's kind of um, good that some of those experiences were put off until you were more mature and you could, uh, you know, not make mistakes <laughs> that you possibly could have when you were younger and uh, possibly got thrown in jail? <laughs> well, <laughs> yes and no. In a foreign country? <laughs> yes. Is that expressing it? 
Yeah, yes, because getting thrown in jail in a foreign country is always a bad thing. <laughs> but on the other hand, I, in in my older years, and I've recently had a birthday. Um, Come on, happy birthday, Kevin. Yeah, thank you. In my older years, yeah, you see how we make these things time work out? <laughs> it's amazing. Um, yeah, you just my, had your birthday uh, uh, March 16th. Oh. Wait. No, that's uh, that's the no because that's the day that this uh, album came out. It's March, not March tenth, March 9th. March 9th. Wow. Hell yeah! You're a good friend. I'm a good friend. Yeah. <laughs> and yours is yours is too easy because it's six one six. So that's how I always remember yours and Molly's birthday. Yeah, yeah. I made it easy on me. I married somebody who had the same birthday as me. Hell yeah! It's a good plan. <laughs> like my my uncle who got married on Thanksgiving, so that he would always remember the date. Um, Thanksgiving's a different day every year. My uncle was not the brightest guy. <laughs> but yeah, it's um I the point I was getting at is that in my in my later years as I've gotten older, I have learned the value of not avoiding mistakes. I feel like there is in general a, a sense that you should always avoid mistakes. Mm-hmm. And I feel less and less like that's an important thing to do in life. And maybe it would have been good if I, you know, went to Mexico when I was 19 and ended up in um, Tijuana prison for a couple of weeks, you know, like <laughs> maybe that would have been a good thing for me in the long run. I don't know. Probably not. But I'm not going to say that it was a good decision not to go to Mexico because ending up in a Tijuana jail was a possibility. Yeah, I think that, you know, as as humans, we only learn the hard way. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's it's all about, you know, people aren't ready to change and to grow until they hit rock bottom. And they're like, OK, you know, maybe now uh, I should change my life. Yeah. And and I find usually and speaking for myself and in, in particular, that it's not just hitting rock bottom. You kind of have to skid along the rock bottom for a while before you realize that you need to yeah. make a change. Yeah. yeah. Great, uh, great, happy stuff. Yeah, it, well, it's <laughs> it's not a happy song, but I feel like there is a lot of positive message within what is a pretty sad kind of song, and that this is a warning to not have these regrets, and it's also kind of a warning that you know there's this line about uh, you know any new realizations, yeah, any new realizations will have to wait till you, he has more time.
think that there is an irony in the way Ed delivers that. That he's saying he's saying that you'll never have more time, yeah. really, and and so if there's new realizations, make them now. Yeah, there's a, I don't know if it's a, a real saying or something like that, but I've heard somebody say that, uh, you know, land and time are the only things that they aren't making more of nowadays. Mm-hmm. Or maybe not nowadays, but, you know, at all. Right, yeah. Unless, you know, the boomies start inhabiting the bottom of the ocean. Uh, that's not going to happen. Or an, <laughs> until we start building a time machine. Oh, and, and going out to live among the stars. Yeah. I did want to mention something musically about this song. We mentioned the Tide and Signature, mm-hmm. but if you do, so obviously it's one of the binaural tracks. Yes. And so it's obviously one of the ones that, that Chad Blake would have mixed. And it's, I think, some of his best work on this album. Because if you listen to it with headphones, you get the, the sort of standard. There's the upright bass, there's Mike's channel, there's Stone's channel, there's the drums, there's Ed singing. And then there is a ton literally a ton of weird shit yeah there's just chains like, which is kind of like oh yeah the chains of society and uh, this life and everything like mm-hmm. that like hell yeah yeah and just kind of weird noodles on guitar and and glides up and down the fretboard like going wacky on the wall yeah there's just so much weird stuff just and it's not like it's patterned, like it builds through the song. It's just kind of randomly in the middle of a of a first verse. There's just this little weird thing on guitar, and then at the end of the chorus, there's another little weird thing. Mm-hmm. Like it's and it it fills the song out in a way like because I've listened to a few live versions now to try to get a, a sense of how it works live, and it's still a great song live if you just break it down to the guitar, bass, drums, and singing. It's still good, but there is a fullness of the album track that you can't really create live because you just don't have all of those weird sounds. time that the that line six started putting out their stop box modelers so something that's found its way onto mike's pedal board i don't know if he was using it for this album but it would have it would have made things easier 
but I know he he uses it live as the uh, the Line Six DL4, which uh, you can program three different delays onto it, and uh, it's got stereo out, so you can have like the delays going out to different speakers or whatever like that, and and you know play around with kind of soundscapes and everything like that. I can't remember if there was anything specific around this time when they were touring before they made the album or something that kind of inspired him to experiment more with just kind of making sounds and stuff but like this is kind of you know very you know it's like the bass is laying it down you know this is that's the backbone of the song and then kind of stone just kind of has okay yeah this is kind of an accompaniment to it and then mike is just kind of okay you can go and do your thing and just kind of make kind of sounds and everything like that yeah it would have been an interesting one to see you know the process in the studio of you know how many whether all of these sounds are just different takes that Mike did or whether he sort of deliberately said, okay, I want to do a take mm-hmm. where I just do weird stuff. Like it's, or, or whether that was more of, of Chad Blake's idea that it, you know, cause if, if you heard sort of the bass track in your headphones, you would have said, well, okay, this needs something more. And if it was actually Blake that was pushing for that, it would, it'd be interesting to know more. Maybe, maybe this should be a, on the storytellers yeah but get rick beato to dig into it yeah get a, an episode of song exploder uh there was one line that always stuck in my head in this song mm-hmm. and because it, it could potentially have multiple meanings and it's the dirt turned to sand line mm-hmm. and so my first thought upon hearing it knowing ed's surf background was that he meant that to to be that this character you know the sort of escape of going to the beach and surfing and then directly after that he resurfaces to the norm Mm -hmm. sort of coming back out of the water onto land so that was my first interpretation but i wonder also if the idea of dirt turned to sand is sort of this the passage of time yeah the passage of time that as you know as the dirt continues to sort of tumble through the geological process it becomes finer and finer. you worn down yeah yeah that's like that's kind of that's kind of what i was thinking this whole thing is just sort of, you know, yeah, about being worn down by time, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing that stuck out to me is um, from the line, you know, merging traffic past, he found himself staring down at his own hands, not remembering the change, wondering if that is a sort of reference to um, sort of the books by Carlos Castaneda, who wrote the, uh, the teachings of Don Juan, which sort of introduced to popular culture the concept of uh, lucid dreaming and looking at your hands in your dream to try to trigger that because uh he died in 1998 uh after yield came out so i wonder if um a kind of renewed popularity mm-hmm. yeah you know, for 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 ed at least to to kind of like look back and it's kind of like oh yeah you wrote these books it's like oh yeah it's kind of weird it's like maybe this whole sort of uh thing is about lucid dreaming or trying to live in a dream before coming back to real life because uh, I, I believe that um in that book too they, they also he also talked about um dreams being practice for real life to where you know if you can do something in your dream that helps you to better envision yourself doing it in real life where you know in dreams there are no consequences and you know so in life you 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 don't have to be scared of uh, of doing those things because you you did them in the in the safe space of of dreams. Yeah, I remember hearing about that about about Castaneda and the and the lucid dreaming. 
around this time. So it was certainly something that was in the in the lexicon of popular culture in that time. But I had always interpreted that line more as seeing the age in your hands. And mm-hmm. I can, you know, I'm looking at my hands now, actually, which no one can see. So you just have to take my word for it. Um, <laughs> you can post a picture of them if you want. I can uh, put it with the episode. <laughs> yeah. But you, you know, you see the, the, the age in your hands. Mm-hmm. And, and I sort of imagined the character in that moment looking at his hands and thinking like, these used to be a young man's hands. What happened? Well, it depends on how good you've been moisturizing. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Whether you're wearing gloves at night, we really ought to all be wearing gloves when we sleep, but you know, it, it affects my personal life, if you know what I mean. <laughs> because you, you, you have your, uh, your fingerprint lock on your phone? Yeah. Yeah. That's what I, yeah. Yeah, because you can't, you can't doom scroll before you uh, go to sleep. Right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but no, that's for, the, that's, that's, for the, that's for the song 7 o'clock when I get to that in three years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> three years, that's optimistic. That's... <laughs> <laughs> hey, now. <laughs> Sorry, Brandon. <laughs> Do you think that the sort of a message people can take from this is don't wait to live life or? Yeah, I think like the message I would take from it and that I've tried to take from it is if you find yourself unhappy with where you are in life, with how things have turned out, change it. Mm-hmm. And I know that that's, that's a hard thing to just say, and it can be a scary thing to do, but it's, I think that there's that you owe yourself, you have an obligation to your own happiness, that if you find yourself relating to too much of this song and in a negative way, then do something about it, you know? And it doesn't have to be a big thing. It can be a small step, like just acknowledging who you were when you were younger and not letting that slip away and doing something, you know, if you if you used to play in a band and now you don't have any time for music because you have a, a day job and you think like, oh man, I really miss that, then start playing music again, you know? Or if it's surfing for you, then, you know, go rent a board and hit the water. And don't let the fact that that you're stuck in this rut mean that you have to stay in it because the door to the cage is unlocked. Yeah, go ahead and start a Pearl Jam podcast. Just say hell with it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Or, or you know, as uh, as was talked in the uh, in the Don Juan books, uh, th- that uh, he believed in um, freedom from personal history, which you know you don't let the don't let the past control you. Don't let you know just because you've done it, it's been this way for your life doesn't mean it has to be that way for your life. And um, you know you can start lying about who you were and uh, saying that you're a. Uh, <laughs> a shaman now and you know you had these experiences which uh i think was also coming out around the time of his death is like maybe he wasn't who he said he was and he was kind of a uh, wannabe cult leader or something like that as well yeah maybe i remember like around yeah it was like around this time i read some stuff i think it was in the believer magazine that they were talking about that kind of experience oh yeah because it was right, right right this around this time that i started writing one of my books that i i wrote and i kind of based some of it on the uh the teachings of don juan book and and that sort of stuff too. Yeah. So if you want to start lying about your history, do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I think I think we've uh, we've reached the end for the song, right? Yeah. We've, yeah. we've kind of explored uh, yeah. it and everything. Yeah. I think people people who like this like it and 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 really like it. I think it's a song that can really sort of grab you and sort of 
I don't know, it is it is sort of dreamlike in itself, and you can kind of like float around in it and, and try to, I don't know, grab the things that you need in life as you're as you're floating around in that before you, you know, gotta come back and, and live in the harsh reality of real world. Resurface to the norm. Yeah. Well, there you go. There's well, I mean, there's so much in the lyrics here that are relatable to and and this is a thing that if I know it's something that we can almost go like line by line, yeah, through this, mm-hmm. and it's sort of an amazing thing that by the time Ed wrote this, he had been a rock star for what ten years. Yeah, the fact that he was still able to relatably express these ideas is really kind of a, a tribute to his ability as an artist and his ability as a lyricist. Well, so you know, he he sort of shunned the extreme spotlight and stuff like that to i believe try to keep his his sense of being grounded and a real person and stuff like that not you know turn into a celebrity and stuff to try to keep his sanity and stuff too so i mean there's there's a part of him that always remembers you know coming up and working gas stations and all that sort of stuff and being a kid who wanted to to grow up and do to do music for his life and just like how lucky he is and and everything yeah but i mean just the line about you know, lost on a road he knew by heart, like a book he read in his sleep. The way that describes perfectly this Driving idea. Driving to work of, and just kind of zoning out and be like, oh, wow, I'm here already. I wasn't even paying, you know, realizing, oh, shit, I wasn't paying attention yeah. at all while I was driving. I was just in the zone and, my God, I could have died. Yeah, but that's, you know, the fact that he was able to tap into that feeling without having experienced that in however many years, if ever. I mean, I don't know how long or or how seriously he was ever working jobs like that. Mm-hmm. But that's I, I think it's really amazing. And I think that the people who love this song love it because there are so many little nuggets in there that they can pull out and relate to. Mm-hmm. And that's why I love it. So there you go. Let's uh, let's wrap this up. We're in uh, we're in PJ thirty year, and uh, I, I've been wrapping these up by asking people, much like Ed was asked at the end of single video theory. So I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you now, Kevin. Uh, what does Pearl Jam mean to you? Well, I'm sure that I will not be the first person this season to answer this way, and I I know you only have a couple tracks left, but I probably won't be the last either. Oh no, because I'm oh. gonna do this for Riot Act too. Oh okay, and still yeah. It's all it's all still in the in the thirtieth anniversary year, so all right. Uh what Pearl Jam means to me is community. Mm-hmm. In the sense that like when I first became a Pearl Jam fan, part of what attracted me to Pearl Jam was that my friends also liked Pearl Jam. And it was something that you and I or Harry and I or the three of us together or the three of us and Brandon could talk about. You know, it was something that we all had in common and it was something that I feel like drew us together. And then as I got, became more of a Pearl Jam fan and, and through the internet, I found out that there was a whole a world of people that liked Pearl Jam. And as I've gotten to travel and live other places and, and work other places, I found out that, that everyone can have that experience to be able to relate to people through the music that this band has created. And I'm sure that that's true for every band, but it's true for me for Pearl Jam. There's so many things like there's a lot of art that is just a solitary experience you know listening to you know music on headphones or something reading you know it's kind of like movies you know if you're going out to movie theaters and stuff you know is a real communal 
sort of experience, you know, going to see live theater and stuff like that as well. But I mean, there are some things that are kind of inherently solitary experiences and music is one where there is a solitary experience and you can, and that can bring you into a world where there is community going to see a live show and being like, Oh my gosh, there are these other people who this has touched just like this touched me. And it's kind of like, Oh wow. It's kind of a a breaking through a barrier, a sort of liminal experience of, of life Mm -hmm. and passing through another, another state of being. Yeah, absolutely. There is, something you know so deep in our lizard brains the first time you're at a Pearl Jam concert and you see all the fists go up for a live that just feels like you're a part of something that's such inherently human and so that's that's what Pearl Jam means to me and I think that you know like I said I'm sure that there are other artists who have that same sense of community that same effect on communities but I think that Pearl Jam is unique among artists and that they have gone to such lengths to nurture that sense of community in their fans. Yeah. Even try to, you know, protect their fans from Ticketmaster and stuff. Right. Exactly. And even if they weren't uh, successful per se, but, you know, kind of showed their fans like, Hey, you know, we care. We're looking out for you. We're trying to, trying to do this, even though it sucks at the time mm-hmm. you got to wait and hopefully there's a payoff yep. at the end. Oh, kind of bringing it back around callback. Ooh, full circle, baby. <laughs> That's podcasting, baby. Hell yeah. That's right. <laughs> Just like concentric circles that get smaller and move downwards. What's that called? A downward spiral? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's, you know, that's 10 years away when I get into my uh, Nine Inch Nails uh, <laughs> track by track after I cover all of Pearl Jam. <laughs> right, right. Hopefully I'll be a friend of that podcast also. <laughs> Hopefully we'll all still be alive. <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks for coming on, Kev. Always good talking to you about uh, Pearl Jam and using that as an excuse to just uh, talk to my friends. <laughs> yeah. Hey, any port in a storm, right? The Better Band Podcast is produced by ListenUpReno.com and Brandon Palomo and published using a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 4.0 license. Please visit creativecommons.org or email listenupreno at gmail.com for more details. All music played is owned by their respective publishers and copyright holders and is reproduced for review purposes only under fair use. You can subscribe to the Better Band Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or from betterbandpod.com using your favorite podcast app. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Better Band Pod. I am on Twitter at Brandon P. B R A N D E N P. If you'd like the job I'm doing here, you can go to ko-fi.com slash Brandon P and leave me a $3 tip. Or give me a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and don't forget to tell your friends. If you would like to be a guest on a future episode, send an email to betterbandpod at gmail.com or send any insights and stories you'd like to share and I'll read them on the season finale episode. Again, I'd like to thank my guest Kevin and as always, this is Brandon saying... Hello, Selma Bouvier, it's Troy McClure. You may remember me from such dates as last night's dinner. Listen up.